This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Ariana Cordova. And I'm Emilio Boale. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tsuba people. Tonight is Mexica New Year, so we bring you a very special edition of Generation Justice. We'll experience the wisdom and guidance of local activist, multimedia artist, and Lansante Mexica, Paz Mapitzmit. Paz blesses us with his knowledge about Mexica New Year and shares about his art, retribalization, cultural appropriation, and more. And don't forget, we also have our weekly vaccine equity segment. Our first song in the night is Nightingale, Music for the Moon and Stars by Javier Quijas y Shalutu. In honor of Mexica New Year, we have a special interview with Bas, who is a local activist and multimedia artist of indigenous and Hispanic descent. And now my co-host, 16-year-old Emilio Bavale, speaks with Bas. This is Emilio Boale with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Bas. Bas Mapitzmi is an Albuquerque activist and multimedia artist of indigenous and Hispanic descent. Bas is the Tlayankanki guide of the Kalpuli Ejecatl and Ejecatl Aztec dancers, and is given cultural workshops throughout the world. Bas sits on the advisory board of the Tracking Project, a nonprofit based in Corrales, New Mexico. So, welcome to Generation Justice. Gracias, thank you. So, please tell us more about yourself. Well, I'm, a, I guess, a local boy from here in Albuquerque, and um, uh, on my Hispanic side, my uh, family has been here since um, since the first foray into this area, and um, um, are members of the, of some of the founding families of, of of Albuquerque. And on my native side, of course, our people have been in this hemisphere for tens of thousands of years. So I really do feel at home here today. Um, I've been um, uh, applying my trade as an artist for 52 years now, and I've been uh, a political activist. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I can remember being, you know, five or six years old and um, having to go um, paper people's screen doors with um, the current um, candidate that my um, grandfather and my father were um, were supporting. Um, I've spent most of my life here, but I have expensive extensively, and I'm just happy to be here today. It is great to have you. Um, so, Bas, tell me more about Mexica tradition and the impact it's had on your life. Um, that's a great place to start. Mexica tradition has been so influential in mine and my family's life um, because it gave us, it has given me um, the, the manner and the outlet in which to help um, um, 
Indo-Hispanics who know, who look, who feel their indigenous blood, but have been detribalized, it has given us a chance to begin the, um, the retribalization process. And um, it all started a long time ago in the mid seventies. I used to belong to an organization called AIM, the American Indian Movement. And um, yeah, at the time myself and a bunch of the other um, guys from the barrio were taking martial arts and so when AIM came to have their um, regional meeting here in Albuquerque, they asked if we would be security for them. <clears throat> and after the entire conference was over, um, Russell Means and Dennis Banks, who were um, the two founders of, or two of the founders of AIM, were um, uh, um, sitting around at this house. There was a bunch of sitting around this guy named Black, uh, Black Wolf Clemens, and we were all at his house, and he lived in the North Valley. And um, uh, Russell Means at one point asked, he says, um, what's your last name? And my brother said, my older brother said, and he said, Zamora. And he says, really? Are you any relation to, do you know a guy named Tony Zamora? We're like, well, that's our father. And he goes, really? Well, we got arrested together. <laughs> so that's how this story is going to start. It turns out that um, my father, who used to do accounting um, um, for um, different um, Native American entities um, throughout the country, um, was in Washington, D.C., and they were going to have a meeting, an AIM meeting at somebody's house. And it turns out that the um, uh, two government agencies planted uh, firearms and drugs in this house. And so they arrested all of them. <clears throat> Luckily, they had a, an early day videographer with them and they caught these government agents doing it. So they had to let everybody out. Anyhow, long story short, <clears throat> Russell and Dennis said, well, why don't you guys who are of native blood from Mexico, why don't you go back down and help us to start reestablishing them? Um, contact uh, with our native sisters and brothers down in Mexico. And so I took them at their word. And um, uh, about six weeks later, I went back down to Mexico where I spent a year and a half. And um, in those days, I was mainly um, involved in the um, political aspects of um, decolonization. And while I was there, I happened to see Aztec dancers or Mexica dancers for the first time. Um, they were in a theatrical um, work by this um, group called Los Mascarones, who used to be very um, popular in Mexico and they were out of Cuernavaca. Um, anyhow, for Thanksgiving, I went and saw Rocky. At that time, the very first Rocky movie was coming out and it made me homesick. So I decided to come home. So I got home and I my bus pulled in from Juarez about um, six o'clock in the morning. And I went and picked up my ex-best friend, who's now my brother-in-law. And we went to Garcia's. At that time, there was only one Garcia's. The one that was on 4th Street to south of Mountain Road. And we walked in and there were a bunch of... Um, uh, what we call granulos, a bunch of guys with long hair sitting at the bar. And I told my, um, I told my bro, I said, well, those look like Aztec dancers. And he says, what's that? I said, never mind. So I went to talk to them. And it turns out they indeed were that they, um, their chief, their jefe, was in Gallup negotiating so that the Aztec dancers could begin presenting and the voladores, the pole flyers, at the Gallup Intertribal. And he had sent them on ahead to Albuquerque with no place to stay, um, no idea where, where, what they were going to do. So I invited him over to my um, brother's house. He lived over at Atrisco, just off of Central. And um, they stayed there for uh, because he was out of town. They stayed there for several days. So the first um, uh, ensayo or dance practice ever held in Albuquerque was held at their house. And then my when my brother and his fiance got home, they were planning to get married that weekend at their house. So um, they had a Mexica dancers there for their wedding and people were like 
what the heck? What the heck is going on here? You know, what has Paz gotten us into? <laughs> and, you know, with the caracol blowing and everything like that. So really, as far as the danza goes, it found me or we found each other at Garcia's. I didn't have any, you know, idea I would ever start to do danza. Three days later, Florencio Yescas, may he rest in peace, showed up and he was the um, he was a chief and a very well-known he and Andres Segura Granados were the two main people who brought the Azteca dance to the United States and to the to the Chicano movement and the Chicanos. Um, Florencio Yescas brought what was called um, El Esplendor or the warrior style Aztec dance and Andres Segura brought um, Los Concheros, which is a, a different... Um, um, a different um, aspect of the same tradition. And so Florencio stayed with us and um, I, I just ended up um, kind of getting adopted into, into their grupo. And that's how, that's how my um, introduction to Mexica dance began. Um, and since that time, I've just um, never really looked back. I think that's super powerful, the fact that it wasn't that you were going out to look for it or trying to find it or nothing, but it, it, it came to you and it kept coming to you. I think that's extremely powerful. It's almost like you were chosen on a path or put on a path and to have like those first dancers in your brother's house. I think that's big and super important. And it's it, it, it continues the legacy of these people and these cultures. So why would someone like me, a Mexican-American, why would... I want to understand or might want to look into something like this, into these traditions. Well, well, you yourself um, noted that you have, um, that you're of a Lipan um, Apache blood. And like I said, what this became was it became like our foot in the door. It became the portal through which we begin to explore um, different people's indigenous origins, you know, and, and their, um, uh, for instance, I don't have any Mexica blood that I know of. My blood is Purepecha. And we're the people from Michoacan, Mexico. Uh, we were actually never subjugated by the Mexica or the Aztec, but they finally conquered me when this danza came. And so what I've uh, what I've done is I've spent my adult life um, helping people if they know um, where they came from in Mexico, particularly um, helping them to trace their um, their tribal roots. It's something that I do up to this day. I've got a, a friend who retired from USDA as their civil rights representative some years back. And we're um, right now we're just in the process of tracing his roots and, and what type of uh, indigenous um, group, um, he, uh, which indigenous groups he came from in Mexico. So for instance, somebody to answer your question is, um, um, you know, what do you know about the Lipani Apaches? To be honest, I know very little. Well, here's an interesting little fact. The Lipani Apaches were actually, um, um, in a very real way responsible for the beginnings of the Native American church. The Native American church utilizes, is a, is a, is a federally recognized religion, and it utilizes a medicinal plant called hikuri by the Wiradika or the Huichol people, and peyotl by the Aztecs or, or peyote. They utilize it in their ceremonies, and the Lipan Apaches are the people who were responsible in the er very early days of, of, of bringing that medicine from the Mexican side to the American side. I did not know that. Thank you. Um, I think that's extremely important for people to reconnect or even if not reconnected, but to know, to know their 
lineage to be able to experience and if they would like to to live within this lifestyle to to discover their past to discover their lineage the roots and i think the work you're doing and the work you have done and continue to do it's extremely important to help people reconnect with their indigeneity and their roots frankly so um how do we tie this into your multimedia work where when did this start why what drew you to multimedia to 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 art multimedia art what what drew you to that okay well i'm just going to be honest with you um throughout this entire interview it was actually um laziness i um uh when i began i could not draw a straight line that's why i know that most anybody if they wish can do just about anything they like to do in life i was actually um um, a pre-law student at the university of new mexico political science major and pre-law i was going to become a lawyer because i had um, a vision of becoming a civil rights lawyer and um However, my last um, um, semester in high school, I took an art class and this young Diné boy, a Navajo boy, came and showed us how to make a silver ring and I began to make jewelry. Well, several years along into my education and I'm thinking, you know, man, it seems like it'd be easier just to, just to make jewelry than to go to school. And so I began to make, um, you know, Indian jewelry is what we were making, this what they called it, it's what we were making at the time. And then in 1975, I... Um, was employed under a government program to go teach Indian jewelry making to a bunch of um, Pawnees and Creeks and Cherokees in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And at that time, I just kind of naturally fell into, I began to um, paint and I began to sculpt. So once again, it's something that came to me through um, 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 an indigenous aspect of life, you know, which is fun to just see how as human beings, how we're all interconnected because the first silversmiths in, um, in here in New Mexico were taught by Mexicans. And that's, you know, they, they brought the silversmithing traditions from Mexico and taught the first Navajo and some Pueblo people how to how to work with the silver. So while I was doing that, I began to work in, um, in, um, in different types of media. And um, thanks to, um, to a good primo, Esteban Duran, who, um, who still lives here in Albuquerque, he um, invited me in the, um, uh, I guess in the mid nineties to be the project manager for a public art project that he was submitting for. And then um, um, he called me the next day and said, I've changed my mind. I would like for um, Carol Guzman to be the project um, um, coordinator, but if you want to, we'll just um, um, submit for the project together. And I, and I, I won, he and I won that project. It's um, a series of um, scenes that are over on fourth street in Barrelas. And um, from there, I never looked back. And since um, since I, you know, since I learned how to make jewelry, I'm really happy that's where I started because it taught me how to do design. So I learned how to draw. It taught me how to weld because I was soldering. It um, taught me how to work architecturally on a very, you know, micro microcosmic um, basis, you know, because jewelry are small pieces. And I think if you can work in something that small, you know, I got to where my eye could see the difference between a tenth of a millimeter. I think it's easy from there to uh, begin to work in other types of media. And um, then um, during this time, I had my um, uh, first child, David, who's now over 40. And he used to come down with me into the jewelry shop um, from the, when he was like four years old. You know, by the time he was five or six, I could hand him a, a diamond or an emerald and he would know not to break and he would handle it um, very carefully. So when I did segue into public art, 
he just started doing art with me right away. And he always had a new idea and he always wanted to try a, a new material out. So through him, I got very um, experimental and very inventive. And to this day, anytime we have a job to do, um, whether it's um, art, whether it's construction or, you know, whatever we're just doing in our daily lives, um, we're always looking for new materials and new applications for the same old materials and how we can mix them together. And I think that's really how I um, became a mixed media artist, just trying to think of, you know, when I looked at a painting I needed to do, to think of it as a piece of sculpture. When I had a piece of sculpture to do, to perhaps think of it as a piece of jewelry and so on and so forth, always trying to think in a new way, um, creatively and artistically. Um, and I think what it's done is helped me to keep growing to the age that I am now, that I'm still always looking for a new way to do the same old thing or something new to do. I think that is really cool to to connect it to to the indigeneity to I think it's really cool, really powerful, like all coming together. Everyone, they pass each other traditions, they pass each other different styles of art. You being honest about, you know what, I think this is better than what I'm doing in school. So you think more of art and to connect that with what you do and to connect that and share that with your with your um with your family with your children i think that is extremely powerful i think that's extremely important so on the topic of your family could you tell us more about um your lineage or lineage tradition your personal experience with your children sure well um well um, we have um by we i mean my partner we have four children and two grandchildren and um, some years back, probably about um, oh, probably about twenty-five years ago, we decided that um, the the group of Hecatl would be a family-based group. So that what that meant was that our nuclear family forms the core of the group, and then anybody else who comes in, they become like extended family. And so all that it's doing is once again using traditional models and traditional values to promote what it is that we're trying to promote in our life and to help us to disseminate the culture and to aid people in the retribalization process and in regaining um, um, an indigenous outlook towards life. So um, all of the kids, all of my children were born into the danza, as we say, and they continue to dance with us. We just had um, our ensayo, our dance practice last night at a local high school. And um, they have all stayed um, um, very um, intricately involved with every aspect of the culture. And um, you know, something that sometimes tends to be forgotten in modern society and um, with all of the electronics they have nowadays is that traditional values never really go out of style. They're really what keep a tradition together. And by that, I don't mean that we become dogmatic or stagnant in how we and how we view the world. I mean, that if we just use take several basic things, in this case, the family, say, well, this is a model that has worked for, you know, gosh, you know, for millennia for indigenous people. And if we just follow that same model, we don't have to re reinvent anything. In doing so, we have a very strong base to start from. And also, that's what a tradition is about. A tradition, and the word for tradition in Nahuatl, in the Mexica language, is mekayotl. Uh, and it comes from mekatl or mekate. You know, we say mekate for a rope. That, well, that comes from Nahuatl. And a rope is a bunch of different individual um, strands that are knotted together. And that's what a tradition is. So the idea of really maintaining tradition 
is about not cutting that rope or not breaking that chain. It's continuing it on. And it doesn't mean we have to be stuck in anything. There's always room for anything new that works. And then it's absorbed into the tradition, you know, with, with plenty of time and with plenty of, um, of care also. So we're not just putting anything into there. Uh, it's, so to be traditional can actually be a very liberating experience. And it doesn't necessarily need to tie us up or make us heavy or, like I say, cause us to stagnate in our growth. It actually can be a vehicle um, and a very good vehicle in our search for personal freedom. And the family is just one of the bases of that. Yeah, I think it's very important to think of as family is yes, your base, but to think of the people in your community as as extended family, as like you were right. saying, as like a rope. It's everything is knotted together. Everything is it's community. It's all family. It's and there's not, I wouldn't say a set of rules, but what you were saying about traditional values, I think that's very important to follow systems and not just systems, but like values basically values that have worked for for forever almost and to be open to change yes but to also keep those values at heart um so on the topic of your family is there anything you'd like to add about your grandchildren or your role as a grandfather aside from the fact that they're awesome <laughs> yeah i think that um uh, what i want to add about them is um i see how now uh, you know, fourth generation um, um, retribalization is working because I count my grand my I, I count my father into that because when we were kids he brought us up saying you know know that you are of native blood you're also of Hispanic blood you're also of human blood you're an American you're all of these things but he made sure that we didn't forget our indigenous aspect and I'm very you know he was one of the founders of the Chicano movement and. Um, and the um, Hispano Chamber of Commerce and things of that nature. What in his lifetime he just passed this last year, and what to me is so gratifying is to see him um, to walk into the house and I see little Nuno. That's what Raimundo calls himself, Nuno. So that's what we call him. He's two, just two years old, and he's already drumming up a storm. You know, and he's telling, and uh, you know, uh, his first words. Some of his first words were, "Which one, powwow or or Aztec? You know, which style of drumming he was going to do." And he just drums all day long, all day long. And then Flor, who's just about to turn six, um, is already carrying water within our group. So for to them, it was just a very natural, you know, um, thing that they were born into. So we have been able to recapture that tribal spirit within this particular family. And um, I see my grandchildren carrying it on, and it makes me feel very happy and um, very proud. I think that is extremely powerful and to see the work you're doing in like firsthand to see your grandchildren carrying these traditions. Um, also, I would like to offer my condolences for your loss. I think that's extremely hard to lose someone so close to you, someone who, well, yeah, your father to, to lose that person, a, an elder, a guide, a, something like that. I think it's extremely sad and I would like to offer my condolences. I'm sorry for that. But I think it's that's well, thank you. no, of course, yeah. I think it's important that you continue these traditions. I mean, that is so cool 
that is so powerful and amazing to see your grandchildren and you being a a leader within our community i think that is amazing amazing to see um so i would like to ask you about the work you've been doing in our community and why is it important to work with the community well um the work that we do is multifaceted so we'll get to that i'm going to i'm, I'm going to address first the importance of working with the community and it's the same type of thing, just like, let's say, a half step over, but the, it's a parallel type of thing with tradition. The community, if we don't work with the community and if we don't work as a community, then there is no community. And if it falls apart, then we just are acting like a bunch of individuals. And while the individual self is an extremely important aspect of our totality, so is community. And so working and sharing in that way um, I just think is one of the most um, wonderful aspects um, and ways in which we can express our humanity, you know, and if we're going to, if we're going to decide to be on this plane and to stay human beings, well, then we might as well try and embrace all of the aspects of humanity that not only bring us together, but that um, take us forward, you know, and that um, help us to be sustainable as a species. You know, there's not a lot of real work being done to really help to sustain our species. Um, and and I think the community work and, and working within a community and um, um, inserting or um, continuing traditional values does lean, help us lean towards sustainability as a species. Now, as for the things that we do, um, gosh, you name it, and we've done it. You know, I, I said that I, I mentioned that, or you mentioned that I sit on the advisory board of a nonprofit called the Tracking Project. And this has several different aspects. What the Tracking Project does, one of the things they do is um, Whenever they are invited, whenever we are invited, we go into indigenous communities throughout the world that are trying to put their cultures back together with a model um, based on indigenous communities here in this country, very strongly based on the Six Nations or the so-called Iroquois people, but also, um, but also based on, on, um, on Pueblo teachings because we're here in New Mexico. And uh, we go back in and we facilitate people finding um, pieces of their past culture that are um, that are extant that still exist, and then helping them to put those pieces back together. Um, uh, another thing that we do with that organization is um, we're not doing now, but we had for many years survival camps, a young men and a young woman survival camp. But it wasn't the type of survival camp where you dress up in camos and you're acting you're just trying to survive the zombie holocaust or something like that. It's more like survival learning wildcraft, you know, learning plant identification, learning how to make a shelter, um, learning how to camouflage. But also they had a, a professional comedian from Los Angeles come in as one of the uncles and teach survival through humor. They had myself come in and they had my partner come in for the women's camp and teach cultural awareness. So the idea is that survival is once again goes back to traditional values. And that's why we've worked um, with um, John Stokes at the Tracking Project for so many years. Um, as an activist, what, what, what one does, or anyway, what I, what I try to do is I just try to go out every day and shine forth. I try to, I try, try to project my energy and I try to um, give the best impression as a human person that I can of myself. And I think if each of us just starts from there, just, you know, we don't have to worry too much about um, what's going on externally, although we do need to stay aware, 
Um, but if we look at ourselves first and try to continue making ourselves into a better version of ourselves, not better than anybody else, but better for ourselves, I think that that's, um, um, I think it's a laudable goal. I think it's, you know, and it's something that I, um, that I try to do because um, um, heaven knows that um, I got a lot of things I need to still work on in my age. <laughs> and so it's just like every day trying to remember, I, can I be a little better person today? You are listening to Generation Justice here on 89.9 KUNM-FM. Tonight we bring you an interview with Bas, an Albuquerque activist, multimedia artist, danzante, and maestro. Bas speaks with G.J. Fellow Emilio Bavale about the importance of community and educates us on Mexica culture. Now let's hear more about Bas's work in the community, his guidance and wisdom for youth, and Mexica New Year. Pass, I am extremely curious. Are there any projects you're working on now? Like art-wise, what what are, what are you doing? Okay, currently I am um, just starting a project. I've got an old mural that's um, uh, it hit 25 years. It's last year in 2022, and I did a complete restoration of it. And it's on um, it's on Bridge Street, just east of Old Coors. Well, two blocks up, they just built a little new park. It's um, like an urban park. There's no real grass or anything. And they had an art project um, uh, that went up for um, competition there. And I was fortunate enough to win it. And so right now I'm um, building a project that we're going to put on a wall that is um, five feet high by, by um, 500 feet, feet long. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, make out of um, tile um, 18, uh, four foot high sunflowers and those 18 sunflowers nine to the left nine to the right are going to form um the the border or the what is what i'm looking for el marco the frame they are going to frame nine different scenes that will be painted of south valley life and so that's what i'm working on now since it's too cold to paint outside i'm um, um in the studio as we speak and in the other studio room which is the dirty studio um we're making the pieces for um the sunflowers right right now. Myself and a young intern named um, Seti Barons, whose father is also is a is a um, is a local artist here. Uh, we're making all the pieces for the sunflowers, and once we get them um, put together, we'll let them dry, then we'll glaze them and um, fire them, and um, go install them, and then put those nine little scenes or vignettes of South Valley life. Um, uh, we'll go in and we'll, and we'll and we'll paint those. So that's the current project. Yeah, it's just like two blocks from the old project. So in general, what do you hope to transmit when you when you do art? I think um, the the simplest way I like to say it is for, for me, art is medicine. And I try to make artwork that somebody walks away from feeling better after having viewed and experienced it. I think that's, you know, that's in a general term, that's it, you know, with each. Uh, then, of course, with each um, project, especially if it's a public art project, you have a selection committee, you have a community where it's gonna go. So, so 
what I do is I outreach into the community and I try to understand what resonates with that particular community, what they wish to see, because I'm going to um, build that artwork. You know, I'm going to create it or fabricate it, install it, and then I'm going to go home. But they're going to be passing the people who are from that um, vecindad, from that barrio, from that neighborhood. They're going to be um, passing it on a regular basis. So I want something that they can love and enjoy and that their children and their children's children can love and enjoy. And their abuelos, um, you know, granted, uh, it's almost impossible to please everybody. But I try to please the largest amount of people within a community where my artwork is going to reside. Many times people don't see representation through art. And like you said, art is medicine. It's the biggest form of yeah, representation. It's something to enjoy, something to heal by. Um, what is your message for youth? Um, my message for youth would be um, there are ways in which you are already wise. There are things I can learn from you every day. So learn how to look inside yourself. Don't spend too much time worrying about what other people think or about what you think about other people, it's better to wage that internal warfare. Look inside, find your demons, find your divinity, and honor both of them. Because as a human race, you know, I used to do workshops in, uh, throughout the world and um, in, one, in Europe where I used to do them in Switzerland, uh, the woman I used to stay with them told me one time, good and evil, good and evil, why is there such a fight? Why can't good and evil have a baby? She told me. And I said, they did. It's called the human race. And so if we look at ourselves and if we recognize who we are, what our strengths are, what our deficiencies are, and if we can come to accept those in ourselves and not necessarily try to change who we are, but rather focus on changing how we act, how we interact, how we react, how we are proactive, and how we do non-action or don't act. If we look at those five things and do them, I think um, I would tell youth that it makes life a lot more manageable. I think that's big. A lot of youth, they, they struggle with finding, you know, stability, finding some peace of mind. And that's big. I think that's very big. A giant message to not, you know, stop thinking about what other people think about, what you think about this just living by those five, well, even more, just living by those five, like, key things, you know, to think to, for good. I like the, <laughs> the analogy, the um, good and evil, they had a baby, also the human race. So to make the best of that, because there's good, there's bad and everywhere. It's to find, to manage it, you know. The Mexica New Year is coming up. Tell us more about that. Okay, the Mexica New Year is... um. um... Is essentially is essentially that it's what you call it. And it's based on the seasons. Um, so you know, March is when springtime comes. That's when we see the when we come out of winter and the world begins to expand. We begin to see new life. The grass starts to turn green, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's the time when we celebrate the new year. We um, in in Nahuatl it is called Yankuichi uh, Week, El Año Nuevo, the New Year. And um, it's generally on March 12th of every year, except for leap years, and it's on March 11th. The reason being um, that the Mesoamerican calendar works in a different way than the Gregorian calendar. Instead of being 365 days and then having a leap year, it's 365 and one quarter days. 
That way, an adjustment only needs to be made every 130 years as opposed to every four years. So it's a more accurate timekeeping piece. And um, there are several different rituals that are done for the new year. You know, we, you put up a new uh, um, pantli, which is kind of like saying a flag or a bandera, and it has the symbol of the year on it. Um, the way it works with a mix with the Mesoamerican calendar is that there are four different with the Mexica calendar is there are four different types of years. One year is called a um, house. That's what the year we are in now. One year is called Reed or Cariso. That's the year that we're going to move into. One year is called um, um, Blade, and one year is called um, uh, Rabbit. So um, uh, we're in a uh, we're in a Rabbit year now, and we're moving into a um, into a Reed or a Cariso year. And so every year uh, we make a new um, banner for that year and then we destroy the old banner just to show that the old year has gone. And so with that, we hope to leave um, um, anything that we wish to that does not serve us anymore in our life behind and start anew in the new year. Um, before the new year starts, there's five and a quarter days called the Nemontemi. And those are days of contemplation. Now, if you used to look it up in history books, they would say they were days of bad luck. That was the way that the Spaniards looked at them. But they're not really. They're just days of quietness. And people go inside because it's a time when we contemplate and look at our internal selves instead of the external world and try to see how we can, um, what we can change uh, within our five actions that I just gave you in the year to come that can help us to be more um, functional um, in this world. I would say you can relate that to a lot of different traditions. We find like the year, they have different symbols. They have different meanings. A year will mean this, a year will mean that. Um, in my tradition from my dad's lineage, we have that too. A, a bit different, but the same idea is the year symbolizes something. Um, but no, that is that is very interesting and to, about the calendar too. That it's more accurate. It's kind of strange that we don't, I guess, switch to something more accurate. But um, where can people find more information about about you or your work? Um, good question. <laughs> I would um, that's a good question. Um, if you look up, uh, the thing is, he only speaks. He doesn't speak in English. Arturo Mesa Gutierrez is um, is probably the foremost um. um um, authority right now on the Mexica calendar for the count that the majority of dancers use. Now, there's um, there's always there's always there are some people who use a slightly different calendar. There are and they have different beginning dates for the new year. And I just want to say that um, um, what Arturo Mesa told me about it many years ago, when somebody asked him, "Well, how about all these different beginning dates for the calendar? Which one is right and which is wrong?" And he said, "Well, in the indigenous way." You choose the date and you follow the calendar that works for you. And if it works for you, you follow that. That's the indigenous way. The non-indigenous way is you fight about when the calendar starts. So the idea really is, when we think about it, what calendars, what clocks, what calendars, things of that nature serve as, is they serve as a place for us to fix our space, uh, to fix our place in the space-time continuum. And so if you find a space for yourself and a place for yourself that works, that's all that really matters. If we can find something that gives us that sense of grounding, that sense of purpose, whatever it is that we need to go um, forward with our lives in a functional way, it's more important than any arbitrary date or anything of that nature. 
And I think it's I think it's important to remember that, you know, if we can, but like they say, march to your own drum, that's really a good thing, as long as you're not harming another person or yourself. Um, however, we wish to interface and interact with this world is generally going to be okay. The key being not to harm ourselves, not to harm another. And by another, I just don't mean human people. I mean, all the other people, you know, the animal people, the plant people, the rock people, all, or in other words, everything that is in this world, trying to find a way that lives with it, not against it. I think that's, I think that's very important to, to march to your own drum. I mean, whatever works for you, I guess, but that's, I don't know, that's like big, you know, it's very, I don't know how to explain it. Most people try to fit in into where society tells them to go. They try to fit into where someone else says they need to go. But to march to your own drum is extremely powerful. It's influential. I don't know. I like it. I it, you know, it feeds the soul. Um, so where could you find more information about you, yourself, and your artwork? Um, I have an Instagram page. Um, I my daughter runs it. My youngest daughter runs it. And while it mainly is um, about the artwork, there's also, um, we also add um, other things to it and are going to be taking a look at adding um, um, more as far as um, indigenous activism goes into it, but trying to keep it in a, um, in a non-judgmental and in a very positive way. Um, you can go to, uh, I think it's at Pazehekat on Instagram. Now, keep in mind, like I said, my daughter Cristal runs it. So if you have questions for her, she will then refer you. And that's, and it's a good way to, First, make contact, and then if you need to from there, you can you know get my email or DM me, et cetera, et cetera. Because I you know I do have Facebook Messenger also, and um, and um, as of like about four years ago, a real cell phone with text. <laughs> so I'm I'm um, uh, it is possible to get in touch in any, and I never turn anybody down who comes looking for information that can then be turned into knowledge. So on the point of knowledge, I would like to ask personally, what, what guidance would you have for me? Okay. What I would say is the first off to recognize that even if somebody else, let's say me in this example, even if I hold some knowledge and I convey to you something, you don't hold knowledge, you hold information. All I'm conveying is information. So especially in this modern world, um, the idea is if you want to really gain knowledge, what you have to do is you have to hear or see something. And then it's a good idea to doubt it, but stay open to it. And then the idea after you doubt it, but stay open to it, is, is begin to practice it. If you practice it and it works for you, then practice it until it becomes yours. If it doesn't work, then set it aside. I like to say set it aside with love because I'm an old hippie, but just set it aside. Um, after it becomes yours and only after it becomes yours, can you transfer it to another person? So when we see something really cool on the internet and then we go and tell like, you know, however many people are following us before we actually know if it works or not, we're not doing anybody a service. All we're doing is passing information and information and information and becomes diluted. But if we take some information, if we look at it and say, huh, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to try it. And we try it, we find there's something to it. Then we practice it until it is ours. At that time, 
we pass it along. And that's staying within a tradition too. And then when we pass it along, honor whoever or wherever it came from by saying it came from there. And that serves two things. That's where tradition is continued. Because if you don't say, hey, I learned this from here, then you have cut that rope. If you do say it, you have continued the tradition. And not only that, if that person was wrong, you put the responsibility back on them. And so you have protected yourself. And so it's, so it's very simple. Hear or see something new. Doubt it, but stay open. Practice it until it is yours and it becomes your knowledge. And then nobody can tell you what to do with it and then decide how you will share it. And if you, it's a very simple method, but we tend to forget to follow it, all of us, no matter what age we are. Thank you. No, I think that is big. We kind of just randomly share stuff and it could be right, it could be wrong. And that relates a lot to what we see today. I mean, we have social media, so anyone could say anything and someone would it's believe so true. it. <laughs> so true. But um, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's extremely important message for the situations we have today in our world and on an individual level, what we share with each other. Um, is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah, I actually would just because since we're, um, you know, since we went into this from the, from the supposed indigenous way, there's a lot of um, concern nowadays um, about um, cultural appropriation. And so I just want to address that real quickly. And this is these are just this is just my guidelines that I follow, but I want to share them and welcome for other people to you know utilize them if they're if they're useful for you. Um, and to me, I think the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural sharing, because that's what we're supposed to do as different you know as cultures, we're supposed to share and become stronger and stronger, a stronger species. And I think um, a very easy way to um, um, to know the difference between cultural sharing and cultural appropriation is number one, ask and or be invited into the knowledge. Number two, practice that knowledge until it is yours before, before you spread it. This is going to sound redundant. Number three, when you do spread it, when it is yours, make sure and mention where it came from. And I just explained why because of that. You know, number one, it continues the tradition. Number two, if you were taught wrong, the responsibility falls back on who taught you and you're protected. And then number four, never ever go into any other person or any other um, community's secret slash sacred space unless you become so much part of them that you're invited there. When each of us as an individual and when each of us as a community can maintain that secret space, then we feel protected and we're willing to share and be generous with our knowledge. When that secret space is invaded, then we feel violated and don't wish to share anymore. I think if you follow those four uh, simple guidelines that you don't have to worry about culturally appropriating, that you will be culturally sharing. I think that's giant, especially with the intermingling with traditions, with cultures, with rediscovering culture, with rediscovering roots to not to not intrude, to not, you know, to not well, to like be respectful of the the traditions, to be respectful of the history of it, where it comes from. And like you said, with those guidelines, they can be applied to everything, but specifically with culture, that's really, really important. Um, 
with my culture from my father's lineage, that happens a lot, a big misunderstanding of what it's about, about and being close-minded. And when people do go in and try to learn about the culture, they hold a lot of ignorance with it. And I think it's extremely important to approach a culture, to approach tradition with respect, a lot of respect. Um, I would like to thank you, Pas. I would like to thank you for the work you've done in our community, the the lessons you've taught me today, the knowledge you've given me. Um, I would like to thank you for this interview. It's great to talk to you. I mean, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, and so thank you. Thank you a lot. And I have tremendous respect for you and the work you've been doing and the artwork and what you're going to do with the things in our community that you will go on and do. And I will take inspiration and love from this. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm honored and the respect is mutual because that's the way it should be. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really had a good time. No, yeah, it's nice. Thank you. For Generation Justice, this is Emilio Boale. Thank you, Paz, for teaching us about Mexica culture and the beauty of preserving traditions and your work in doing so. It is so moving to hear about such beautiful traditions and the importance of keeping them alive and honored. In honor of Mexica New Year, hear are the songs The New Fire by Jorge Reyes. And stay tuned because after that, we have a weekly vaccine equity segment to share with all of you. Welcome to this week's Vaccine Equity segment. Generation Justice would like to remind you that the pandemic is not over. Our loved ones and community members are still at risk of contracting COVID-19. And how do we stay COVID safe? In order to stay COVID safe, protect you, your loved ones and community, it is vital that you are continuing to practice social distancing protocols by maintaining six feet of distance. And continuing to wear a mask in public spaces and having indoor ventilation in your space. One of the best ways to protect yourself and your loved ones against this virus is getting your COVID-19 vaccinations. If you or someone you know is in need or has not yet received their monovalent or bivalent COVID-19 doses, you can visit itstimenm.org and schedule an appointment. That's itstimenm.org. The People CDC would like to remind you that while you can still contract COVID-19, Getting vaccinated can reduce your chances of hospitalization and death. If you know you are sick or have been exposed to COVID-19, get tested. Getting tested can help you seek proper treatment and avoid spreading the virus to others in your community. While at-home tests are great resources, the CDC antigen tests for SARS-CoV-2 reminds us all that these at-home tests tend to be less sensitive than PCR tests, which detect and amplify the presence of viral nucleic acid. For information about PCR testing locations, visit findatestnm.org. Again, go to findatestnm.org. Please continue to look out for our communities. That wraps up our vaccine equity segment. Join us next week for more updates on vaccines, COVID-19, and how to keep your community safe. Mm -hmm.
We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank our guest, Bas, for sharing the beauty of Mexica culture. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rayel and Barbara Ramirez with production assistance from Sunandita Santanam. And thank you to our interviewer, Emilio Bavale. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voice of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Keller Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, Con Alma Health Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health Infectious Disease Bureau through the Better Together program, and the Office of School and Adolescent Health. As well as the city of Albuquerque, Race Forward, Media Justice, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. I'm Ariana Cordova. And I'm Emilio Boale. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico.